everybody. Welcome to episode 14 of the book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We are coming at you from Manchester, Vermont. Woohoo! In the Green Mountains. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful state. Um, we are here for the big booktopia, Nerdapalooza. <laughs> um, but we thought that we would record on our regular schedule, and then we will do um, a new recording about booktopia coming up. Yeah. Apologies in advance. I have a little allergy slash cold, so I sound a little nasally. <laughs> I apologize. Um, I also want to say that I have finished school. Yay! She's officially finished with her program. I'm done, which I think it's a better news for you guys because you don't have to listen to me talk <laughs> about it anymore. So, woohoo! Um, and I just have one thing I wanted to talk about before we get started on our regular segments, which is that we got a lovely shout out on the Reading Envy podcast on episode 85. Um, Jenny, I love her podcast. It starts like, it sounds like you're at a pub, which yes. is so fun. There's yeah, all these clinking glasses. The and um, she had Thomas from the Readers on, and they were having a little Willa Cather oh, love fest. Totally, about the Song of the Lark. Yeah. Which is a great book. And so, of course, Thomas brought up our, our lovely Cougar Chris, who also <laughs> loves Willa Cather. And gave Chris a nice shout out and the book Cougars a nice shout out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So thank you. Always love to hear people talking about Willa Cather. Yeah. 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 So, so that was a really nice thing. So again, episode 85 of Reading Envy, and that's a really fun podcast. I highly recommend that you guys check it out. Yeah, definitely. All right. So what's up first? Talking about what we just read. Yeah. Right. Do you want to go first? Sure. I read the book that you recently read, a booktopia title, The Impossible Fortress by Jason Reculak, and I loved it. It was such a fun reminiscence down, uh, get back to the 80s when personal computers were becoming more of a thing. I grew up with a dad who'd been into computers since the 50s, so, you know, he was the kind of guy who built his own computer and then built his own computer hutch because they didn't have things like that back (laughs) then, and... I just really enjoyed it. I thought the characters were very fresh and realistic, and there were some surprises, even though I could imagine. I kind of had an inkling maybe how certain things could go, but there were some nice surprises. And just some lovely reminders in there about what it's like to be a teenager. You know, like, there's nothing you can say to an angry parent. Yeah. Nothing. No. Um, And another thing, too, I love the one part where he the main character talks about a a book or books in general and that there's books can't be wrong. And it's just like, Oh my God, I remember that. Like that if it was in a book, it was true. Right. It was accurate. And I just remember those days of innocence. So surely your parents are wrong. That's the other part that comes with that. Because if it was in a book, <laughs> it was in a book and your parents are saying something different, they're wrong. Yeah. No wisdom in those parents. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. So I think it's a it's a good book for people who are into geek culture in yeah. general. Um, and there's a, a female character who is a computer geek yeah. early on. And at one point, um, names are named of influential women uh, in the gaming slash programming industry early on so really enjoyed it it's a wonderful read i totally recommend you add it to your summer reading yeah it's a fun one i only read one book because i was um busy with school and my brain was really tired and it was a book that i tried it was one of those where i you know i kept picking up books and they weren't working but Mm -hmm. this one worked for me it's called the opposite of everyone by jocelyn jackson um, it's, she's a very, she's a palate cleanser author for me and she seems to like to write about mothers and daughters. So this mm-hmm. is a mother and daughter book with a mother who's a very free spirit. Her name's Kai and her daughter is Paula Voss. And it's one of those books that goes back and forth in time a lot. And the mother and the daughter have a separation and you're not sure why. And there's a lot of regret and the daughter did something to cause her mother to, to, for them to be separated. Mm-hmm. But then, and then ended up in the foster system, but overcame adversity and became a very high powered lawyer. So that's kind of the basis of the story. But then there's a lot of surprises with different characters that come into her life and siblings she doesn't know about and things like that. So, so it had a couple of things I really like a lawyer. I mm-hmm. always like a lawyer character and a love interest and kind of disjointed family. So, um, easy read. Again, it would be another nice, you know, we've got some beach season reading coming up so and she has quite a long list of books so if you like her if you read one of hers there's more that you could check out so again the opposite of everyone by jocelyn jackson 
Okay. So I finished the audiobook I've been chipping away at, You Are a Badass, the one uh, Jen Sincero. Mm-hmm. I really loved it. It was, I, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of listening time. Um, and when I've been on my treadmill, which is when I usually do my listening, I've been reading, trying to get my Booktopia right. books in. Um, <laughs> but I, I enjoyed it. She has a new one. I don't know if it's coming out or it's out already. And the focus is on money, on rela- your relationship with money. Because one of her chapters is in You're a Badass. You Are a Badass is about money. Okay. And you're cleaning up your relationship with money because so many of us have it. Yeah, you know, I work with people and their money, and that's one mm. of the things that's been a surprise to me in my career is that there's a lot of psychology around mm. money, and I have to learn f- with each of my clients, you know, what their comfort zone is for how they spend money, how much money they need in the bank to feel comfortable, yeah. and how much risk they like to take, and all of that. Mm. So I joke that I wish that it, when I was in business school, I had taken more psych classes, because maybe right. I would understand my <laughs> clients a little bit more, yeah. you know. Right. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was our Just Read. Yeah. Which I think I called Just Read. Just Read. In the last, last, episode. last episode. Which I kind of like. Go out there, everybody. Just, just Read. read. <laughs> <laughs> so currently reading, um, I started a book that I uh, started because I went to the Newburyport Festival last week. Chris just fell out of her chair, I think. Oh, are I you okay? Oh, are you okay? <laughs> We're sitting in different chairs than usual. Are you doing okay? Oh, yeah, I'm okay. I think it was too much sitting in the, the car yesterday. Yeah, we, we did a lot of Not driving yesterday. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Little uh, equipment failure situation. Um, yeah, so, bodily equipment. Right. The physical equipment doesn't always last uh, the way we'd like for long travel. Um, so I was going to see this author at the Newburyport, so I picked up this book. It's called One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. A lot of people were talking about this book last year, so I'm a little bit late to the party on it. And it's about, um, this is not a spoiler because this happens at the very beginning of the book, a young boy who passes away. And he had he was in the Boy Scouts and he started a relationship with an older woman named Ona. And he was doing um, yard work and things like that for her. And he's kind of an interesting little boy who's very interested in the Guinness Book of World Records. So he decides that they want, that they are going to work to get her into the Guinness Book of World Records for being the oldest woman alive. And I think she's 104. So there's actually people who are like 119 or 20 or whatever. Yeah. So so that's kind of part of the premise of the book. And so there's little, uh, before chapters, there's little sections of like, you know, pieces of Guinness Book of World Record, you know, what do you call that? Um, just different funny, weird ones. I mean, people do yeah. really weird things. They do, you know? yes. <laughs> um, but then after the boy passes away, the father ends up developing a relationship with Ona, and there's, I'm only halfway through the book, but there's a little, like, road trip thing that seems to be happening. So so it's sweet little characters, um, an easy read. I'm enjoying it. So The One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. So when there is a book that's been hugely popular and you don't get to it right away, do you do you sometimes feel like, oh, I'm not going to read it now? Does that ever happen? No, it, it works better Speaking for me <laughs> because I think for me, sometimes you read it when it's being hyped mm-hmm. and then it just disappoints you. Like right. that's how I felt about Station Eleven. Everybody was talking about Station Eleven and then I read it and was like, eh, you know, yeah. whereas I think maybe if I read it now mm-hmm. where I just picked it up, I would love it. You yeah. know, it's hard to say. But you think it's going to be the most amazing book ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read Station Eleven yet, but I do yeah. want to read that. Yeah. So, what do you so I'm reading, reading uh, Schadenfreude. I believe that's how you pronounce it. I'm not 100%. It's a German word for kind of being happy about another person's misfortune. Oh. So the whole, the subtitle of the book, which I just pulled up here. So it's Schadenfreude, a love story. Me, the Germans, and 20 years of attempted transformations, unfortunate miscommunications, and humiliating situations that only they have words for. Holy smokes. It's by Rebecca Schumann. And so it's a memoir about her coming to study German. And I just, uh, I might be in chapter two or three right now, and I didn't bring it with me, so I can't consult it. But it was a book I was looking forward to when I first heard about it, because I've struggled with my German on and off. Uh, So that is what I'm currently reading. And then I, when I literally pushed the button for submit for my final exam and was done with grad school, I walked over to my bookshelf and took down Upstream by Mary Oliver, which is the book of essays I bought in January, I think, and thought, 
this is it. I'm going to read one of these a day. You know, that's like my treat. Yeah, nice. Because I'm a book nerd. Did I pop a <laughs> bottle of champagne? No. I walked over to put my bookcase and was like, Mary Oliver! Oh, there's nothing better to be freed to read whatever yes. you want yes. after a semester yeah. like you just had. And, and your work life on top of it. April was a really hard month for me because it was tax season and I was in the classes and yeah, it was hard. Yeah. And um, and I, I really feel like my brain's tired. So I did mm-hmm. start, I even though I got it off the bookshelf, I looked at it and I was like, I can't, I just can't do it. And Wednesday, so that was on Tuesday. Wednesday, I didn't read it all. And yesterday, which was Thursday, I picked it up and read the first couple of essays and they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. She writes a lot about nature and yeah. you know things like that, so... I've always loved everything of hers that I've ever read, but I don't own any of her books. So yeah. maybe that's something I'll have to buy with my Manchester, not Manchester, Northshire North books. Yeah. Book certificate, yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of books down the street. Ooh. Yeah, I can't wait to get there. <laughs> so the other book I'm reading, I just started it. It's How to Be Everything, a guide for those who, in parentheses still, don't know what they want to be when they grow up. And the author is Emily Wapnick. And I first came across her. Uh, she has a great TED Talk about uh, a term that she uses called multi-potentialities. People who have a variety of passions, not just one passion. And I've followed her on Twitter and checked out her blog or website a couple times. So I was happy to hear about this book coming out. And I'm actually reviewing it for TLC Book Tours. Great. I'm looking forward to... That's exciting. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I'm, what am I? I'm on page like 48 and digging it. So I'll be sure to put that TED Talk in the show notes, yeah. everybody. So if you're interested in watching it. Yes, it'll yeah. be a lot of parents' worst nightmares if their teenagers find it. Okay. Because it's about, you know, feeding your passions and not... And I know so many parents just want their kids to pick a major and that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And I just think, what a disservice... Yeah. We do to our kids. And, yeah. you know, my own life, I have a variety of passions that I follow. The main one is always books, obviously. But, you know, I've had a lot of guilt and kind of shame around not choosing, like, one career path or yeah. something. Um, but this book is about how to build a life that is financially sustainable while following your passions and you know she talks about some of the creative people out there who have a variety of passions and who put them together and do amazing things in the world Ooh, that sounds um, really good yeah i think, I think this is just from the few pages i've read while well, 48 is i guess more than few yeah i think it's going to be a, a really good one so Ooh, more to come yeah that's exciting totally and that's coming i don't you know i didn't write down the date it might be out just now or coming out very soon okay so it sounds we like put it seems like early notes. may is a big release time for things so yeah. maybe it's out yeah all that summer reading yeah. right or you know end of the school year when people are free right exactly <laughs> woohoo so biblio adventures Wow. I have a big Biblia adventure. Yeah, I went up to the Newburyport Festival in Newburyport, Mass. last weekend. I took my Aunt Ellen, met up with a bunch of Booktopia friends um, there, which was really fun. And it's a really cool setup because there's um, lots of churches and art association and Jabberwocky bookstore. And so the events are spread out all over the town. So you really do get to traverse the town and appreciate the beauty of the town itself. It's a very historic place. You would love it, Chris. Yeah, I can't wait to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we started the morning with uh, Don Tripp, who's the author of the book Georgia, which is a fictionalized account of the um, artist Georgia O'Keeffe. She was inspired um, to write the book because she went to um, an art exhibit at the Whitney in New York of her early abstract picture paintings which were so much different than what she ended up painting when she moved out west mm. and those big flower pictures that we're used to seeing when we associate ourselves, you know, think of Georgia O'Keeffe. Yeah. And this book, I didn't get to read it, but I bought it when I was there, um, is about her early years in New York when she's in a love relationship with the famous photographer whose name is escaping me. I think it's Stieglitz. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I, I could have that wrong. Yeah, Stieglitz. Um, and so it's all about that p- time in her life, which is much earlier than the time period where she did live out West. It was really cool because she, this, this particular one was in the art association 
building in town. And so there were all these beautiful paintings all over the walls. And so she was standing up and talking with all these beautiful paintings behind her. Actually, I got a really nice photo of her, which we put on Facebook, but I'll put it. One of my goals now that I've done school is to get our literary adventures section of the website more up to date. Okay, cool. So I'll put some of the photos from Newburyport up there. Um, And she said that she was art when she was inspired to write this book. She was already sixty pages into writing a completely different book and kind of threw everything aside oh. and just went deep into this. And it took her six years to write. So that's uh, Dawn Tripp who wrote the book Georgia. And then the next woman we heard was Monica Wood, who's the author of One in a Million Boy, which is the book I'm currently reading. Um, she has been an author for twenty five years, and this was her first literary event of oh. this nature. Wow. So she was really nervous, and she started off by reading, which is not, as you all know, my favorite thing. My aunt turned and looked at me. Um, <laughs> she patched yeah. <laughs> She read for, I would say, 15 to 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and then I was like, okay, it's an hour session. You know, We've got more to come. Mm-hmm. And then she puts her book down, and then she gets this notebook, and she said, it occurs to me that I should probably read to you a little from this other character's point of view. And I was like... No. Oh my God, smoke started coming out of my ears. But then I just calmed down and she read another 10 minutes. So for about half an hour, she read, which was a lot. But then she went on to talk about, she had this stack of books behind her and she showed us the different ver- um, covers from all of the different countries where her book has come out. That's fun. And it got more and more hysterical <laughs> because as they, they, they rename books a lot in other countries and then they have a different interpretation of what maybe the book's about or what the cover should look like. And the eventual cover for the Italian book was a whale <laughs> carrying a hot air balloon basket below it or something. I mean, it was like the most weird, bizarre, there is no it's, whale in this book, yeah, you know, but there's no, bizarre. so yeah, so it was, she, so she was really sweet and it was really, she read a letter from the publisher from the, I think the Korean version of it. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was really funny. So, and the other thing she talked about was that the, the, the first time she wrote this book, she sent it off to her agent and to publishers and nobody was interested in it. Mm-hmm. So she ended up writing a completely different book. It was a memoir of her life in Maine. And then this book, eventually, she did reworked it with her husband's encouragement and it ended up being published to great acclaim. That's and, you know, being yeah. published in all these different countries. So, oh. so that was really cool. The other thing she talked about that was really funny is this is the book I just talked about and currently reading. And the character of Ona, who's a you know, 104-year-old woman, I think she said it was in Italy... Someone created a Facebook page for Ona that became very popular and had like 10,000 followers or wow, something. interesting. And they did that to build up the publicity before the book came out there. And then when it came out, they kind of outed the fact that this was, that this p- person on Facebook isn't real. And people didn't care. They were like, we still want to, because I think people were asking her questions like she was an elderly woman giving advice, you know? <laughs> that's so, so mean. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Some wow. people kept, they were like, we don't care if she's real. Keep yeah. the Facebook page going. You know? and then, but then the Italian version had some weird cover. Yeah, it had that's a whale bizarre. on it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. 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 So did she have a favorite cover? Did she happen to say? I don't think she did say. I don't remember her saying that. She, I think she was just fascinated by the different interpretations. Mm-hmm. She didn't love the cover that they had in the United States because they made it a little whimsical. Mm-hmm. And it's not really a whimsical book at all. Yeah. And there's a picture of a boy on a bicycle, and the boy doesn't ride a bike in the book. So there was just a lot of weird... So it's like yeah. it's seemingly the whole book that covers interpretation... Yeah. Didn't have anything to do with uh-huh. what the book was about. But we talked about that in the car yesterday, driving yeah. up here with Russell and Julia, Julia about book covers. And yeah. like that that one I read, that mystery that had the woman in the red jacket in the snow and the trees. And it's a book that takes place in Chicago. And there's absolutely no mention of a red jacket. And it's right. just like, so why, you know, is it just like a stock cover? And yeah. they were out of money and had to slap right. something on it or whatever. So. Or they just think it's going to get attention. Like yeah, I know there yeah. was a period of time where there were book covers where Every book cover was a woman's face and profile, mm-hmm. you know. So. Or turned the back of her head. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah, yeah. mysteries do that a lot, I yeah. think, or the silhouettes. Yeah. Dark and blackened out kind of thing. Yeah. Funny. So it was cute. I'd never had an author do that. So she started off kind of slow with all the reading, but then we ended up laughing and yeah. just having a great time. That's so. such a great idea that she yeah. did that. Yeah. yeah, and I think she was nervous, which I totally appreciate, yeah. you know, so... 
So then we moved over to Jabberwocky, where we um, heard Michelle Hoover speak, and she has a book out called Bottomland, which is the all-Iowa read, because the book takes place in Iowa. And I thought about my cougar companion, Chris, and I wished so much you had been there. And then I had such deep regret. Why didn't I buy this book for you and get it signed? Because you have to read this book. Because she's being compared to Cather, you know, in the writing of this book. It's getting a lot of acclaim. She's a very well thought of person in the literary world. She mm-hmm. teaches in Boston in um, an MFA program, and she it's about it's about German ancestry and how um, when they came to I when Germans came to Iowa, they really tried to hide their Germanness, and that um, I want to I want to get this I want to make sure that I don't screw this up. They in, in Iowa the governor Harding. Outlaw passed a, a proclamation outlawing all foreign languages in public and private places. Uh, what year so, was that? Was that like around World War One or something? Or did... Yeah, World War One. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And um, it was such that by doing it in private places, it created this culture too where people would turn each other in. So it was just this really weird, and she said also switchboard operators would turn people in. Yeah, if they heard people speaking. Isn't that crazy German. that yeah. you could operators used to be able to dip into your conversation? Yeah. So I mean, I kind of remember it from some TV show I used to watch when mm-hmm. I was a kid. But yeah, and um, so so it's I mean I wrote tons and tons of notes which I won't bore you guys about. But it took her three years to write it. It's based um, a little bit. It's a little bit autobiographical. It's fictionalized, but. It's based on the fact that she went to visit an aunt in her family and found a picture. And the picture was of her, I think her mother, it might have been her father, I can't remember. And there were all these siblings, and two of the siblings were people that nobody knew about, and they had disappeared. Wow. And the aunt, they had had found some sort of contact information for one of these siblings who had disappeared, and the aunt was in the process of trying to contact her, and the aunt passed away. And they couldn't find the contact information. Wow. So I, the story has to do with family, you know, and people who, I think, go up and leave. And I didn't read it. My mm-hmm. aunt read it and loved it. So I, right. I'm hoping That's you read it. going on the list. Yep. 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 Bottomland by Michelle Hoover. And one little funny fact she said is when her, when her ancestors came over to this country, their name was actually Goober. <laughs> and it was changed to Hoover, which she's very glad about. Yeah. <laughs> And then the next time... Um, we pronounce it Goobar. Goobar, yeah, Gooberay. <laughs> <laughs> then the next event we went to was with four authors, and it was called Mommy Dearest, Why Bad Moms Make for a Good Read, which I was really excited to go to because mm-hmm. I love books about mothers. And there were four authors, Mathonway Collins, Nadine Darling, Carla Panacera, and Holly Robinson. Um, and, you know, they t- it was, I wasn't sure what they were going to talk about, what they ended up talking about was kind of placing each of themselves as mothers and where they are, because each of them have different situations. You know, some of them are blended families. One of them was um, a single mother, that sort of thing. So they talked about that. And then they talked about um, kind of, you know, where parenting has been, where it's going, how we portray it, and how we portray the typical family. Um, And then they compared this conversation a little bit to Roxane Gay's conversation about bad feminists Mm. and how she has struggled herself with what kind of a feminist she is. And um, they talked about how we can't always give our kids what we want, what they want and the guilt of that and the guilt of that as writers Mm. where, you know, writing is kind of like the work you and I do, Chris, where it's flexible and we can make our own schedules, but it's, people don't always treat it as a career and so they would feel guilt when they had young kids and stuff like putting their kids in daycare so they could go and work on their novel right yeah. yeah yeah so it ended up being more about that than it was about like I thought they might talk about you know typical mother characters and you know why almost every book you read has a missing mother or a dead mother or a bad mother or yes. you know whatever so um so that was one. That, that was the next one. And then I promise there's only two more. But the next one was called The Importance of Books in the Age of Digital Overload. That sounds like a great panel. Yes. Yeah. And it was with Richard Rousseau, Ruth Franklin, Love our buddy, yeah. and um, 
uh, Richard, that is not his name, Richard Dubus. Oh, no. Andre, Andre, Andre yeah. Dubus. I wrote Richard yeah. twice. Andre Dubus the third. The funniest thing. So Michelle Hoover, who wrote Bottomland, was the was the moderator, and she and she was probably a little nervous. I would have been nervous on a stage with, with that that group guys. of heavy yeah. hitters. And so she says the she introduces the segment or the session as the importance of digital books in the age of the overlord. <laughs> Which was kind of funny, considering we have an overlord in our country right now, so everyone laughed. And then, of course, the rest of the session, they kept talking about the overlord. So so it was really interesting, because in case you guys don't know these authors, so Richard Rousseau is probably in his 70s. He's a very well-thought-of author. He wrote the book Empire Falls, which won the Pulitzer Ruth Franklin, we've talked about in the past. She's yeah. the reason the book Cougars exists. Yes, because it was her event up here at the Northshire Bookstore when we were driving back from seeing her. Uh, she wrote the biography of Shirley Jackson um, when we decided to do the podcast. Right, and yeah. she won an Edgar like two days yes. before this yeah. this uh, session. So Richard Rousseau called her out, you know, awesome. congratulated her, which was really lovely. And then Andre the third is probably in his 50s, I want to say. And Ruth Franklin's probably a little younger than us. I want to say she's early 40s. Mm-hmm. So it was really nice to have this conversation about technology with people who span different generations and saw technology and used technology differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they all had very different opinions about what they thought about technology, how it affects them, how they use it, how it affects their writing, what they think it's going to do to the world of books and all of that. So, you know, I could talk for hours about this subject. Yeah, well, <laughs> can you, what, what was, uh, who, did anyone embrace the technology? Ruth Franklin definitely Def- embraces okay. it. She has young children who she said, you know, use technology. She sees it as a benefit to mm-hmm. her and to them. Mm-hmm. She Andre Debus is a curmudgeon who doesn't text. I mean, he they all admitted that the power of Google to be writers is amazing. Mm-hmm. Ruth Franklin, especially because she's a biographer, so she said, you know, she can't imagine writing biographies like they did in the old days without oh. the power of Google. Yeah, and just like how everything's being archived now in a different way, mm-hmm. and how um, you know, there's a whole set of of letters and things like that that she knew if. You know, Shirley Jackson was living today, and she was writing her biography 30 years from now. The archives would look a lot different, you know, than what she had to, to wade through. Yeah. Um, and, and so um, I think Andre Dubus had talked a lot about privacy and how the issue of privacy as an author, too, and how technology has affected him in that way. But he's also very gregarious and very extroverted. And one of the points that Ruth Franklin made was, you know, it's nice to be an in, to have technology and be an introvert. You oh, know? Yeah, totally. You know, I totally got that, you yeah. know. And I think he was kind of taken aback. And the thing that was really cool with the panel is there was a lot of tension about differences of opinions. Mm-hmm. And our buddy Ruth, she was sitting between the two men, and she held her own. Awesome. They really disagreed with each other, not in a, you know, yeah. abrasive way or anything. It was mm-hmm. a very intriguing, interesting session. Richard Rousseau made the point, he, he recently, he wrote the book Nobody's Fool, and then he recently, last year, I think, came out with the book Everybody's Fool, hmm. and he talked about, he felt like technology really um, influenced his decision of where to set Everybody's Fool, because it is, um, what do you call it, it's a, it's picking up with the same characters as Nobody's Fool, which has a so name. it's like a sequel? Sequel, okay. thank you, <laughs> that fancy word. <laughs> Um, and he said he really had to think about, like, he, he said it, I think, specifically at 23 years in the future from Nobody's Fool, because he knew if he went any farther than that, he would have had to utilize and bring in technology into the town where it was set, mm. which has changed a lot. But by going to the 23-year point, he didn't have to worry about that in his writing. So I thought that was interesting. From where the first book was? Yeah. To, okay. Yeah, so from where Nobody's Fool took place to where Everybody's Fool took place, he chose... Mm-hmm. 23 years and that was a specific choice so he so in other words in talking about this idea of digital the digital world that it influenced him as an author because he had to think about where to place the book and when I was watching all of them I thought about like I vividly remember I can't remember what the name of the book was the first time I read a book where you know it was epistolary which Mm -hmm. is letter writing but it was text 
Yeah. You know, instead of the old fashioned, like the color purple where it's letters, letters you know, right, yeah. or where someone picked up their cell phone, you know, like when the, when the lexicon of technology came into books, I remember that, Yeah, you know, it was, yeah, it was cutting edge, so, you know, and I remember too, I, you know, mystery writers talking about placing a novel pre cell phone because, yes. you know, if you have somebody who's trapped or lost or their car breaks down you know, everybody these days, you just pick up your phone and you call. If I mean, in most places do have reception. I've been in parts of like northern Wisconsin where there's not cell phone reception. But right. then, you know, mystery novels too where the cell phone does play a, right. a role. So yeah. it is fascinating to think yeah. about the choices that you have to make about where and when to set your story right. in terms of technology. Absolutely. And Andre DeBoos talked about a book that was interesting because when Jacob, my son Jacob, went to college, they had an all-freshman read. And it was this book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains by Nicholas Carr. So he did talk about that in this session and how, you know, he has strong feelings that, you know, cell phones are the death of our brains and things like that. And I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I do think that we're having attention problems. Mm. And, you know, you hear people complain now if a movie's over two hours, you know, like it's so long, yeah. you know. And I think that does have to do with our phones and our immediacy and things like that. So I think that might affect maybe the length of books. I'm mm -hmm. curious to see if that'll happen. Um, and and I, I think, I just really believe that we have to work on our, the culture of cell phones. Yeah. You know, putting our phones away, paying attention to the people that we're in a room with. Mm -hmm. And I talk to my kids a lot about that. Like, you know, if we're sitting at the dinner table and you're texting, then you're having a conversation with someone else. Right. And that's actually kind of rude. And mm -hmm. maybe you could be at the dinner table with your mother. You know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Roxanne Gay, uh, not Roxanne Gay, Roxanne Cody on her podcast, Just the Right Book, is that uh -huh. the name of her yeah. name? Um, was interviewing somebody talking about cell phones. That even having the cell phone on the table, even face down. Yeah on the table between two people pulls people's attention away yeah. from one another. Yeah. And I think that was the same place where I heard um, them talking about there being a backlash, not with uh, the teens these days, but the younger kids will eventually have a backlash yeah. against it because they're being raised by parents who are sitting there on their cell yeah. phones. I mean, it's so often the 30, 40, 50 year olds who are the worst abusers Yep. Of cell phones, I think, yeah. from just seeing people and <laughs> looking at my own behavior. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm and totally my, yeah. guilty. <laughs> my kids are in their mid-20s, you know, and they both have, you know, they get annoyed when they go out to dinner with their friends and everyone's on their phones. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all morphs and changes. And yeah. I really believe as a parent that it's my job. It's no different than teaching your kids manners about other things, that we have to teach our kids manners about cell phone use. Mm -hmm. And, of course, as you just pointed out, we have to not, you know, do as we say, not as we do. Exactly. We have to actually yes. put our phones away we also. We have to model good behavior. Yes, exactly. Yes. Good so, cell phone hygiene. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so that was a great session with the, you know, big heavy hitters. It was fun. And then the last session we went to was Carolyn Lovett, who is a Booktopian author. She was in Bellingham. And she wrote the book Crew... Cruel, Beautiful World, which I won't go on about because I did talk about that book on a previous podcast episode. I read it. Um, it was fun because the her session was in the library, so it's always fun to get yeah. into the local library. And she's a, if you follow her on Facebook, which I do, she's a huge supporter of the writing community. Hmm. So she talked about her book and, you know, what, 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 why she wrote her book and, and, and such, but then she also really talked about supporting writers and going out and buying writers books mm -hmm. and um and I really appreciated that about her and she writes book reviews as well so and then the other thing she talked about is she's a very chipper person and she really is on Facebook also mm -hmm. but she said that she really uses her novels to get the dark stuff of, of her personality out so she yeah. can be happy in her regular life and cruel beautiful world has some dark turns. I mean, that's the one that kind of emulates the Manson time oh, okay. period and stuff. So I thought it was interesting that she's, you know, she said that she kind of uh, purges that from her persona and puts it in her novels so she can be a happy person. Yeah, so, fascinating. Yeah. Oh. So it was a fun weekend. We That all took place in one day, people. <laughs> Newburyport, literally <laughs> yeah. festival. Yeah, right. hours of great authors and um, great locations for authors. So a lot of fun. I highly recommend you do it next year if you can. It's free, which is unbelievable. 
So right. there were 74 authors there. I mean, that's just, those just happened to be the ones that I chose to see. There were a lot more to mm-hmm. see. So Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't go with Emily. Um, I'd been in New York for a couple of days and then Philadelphia. And I got home and I pulled into town like, what, a half hour before you were pulling yes. out of town. So um, I actually spent that day participating in the readathon, um, Dewey's 24-hour readathon, which uh, those of you who are kind of, it used to be more of a book blogger type event. And now I know it's opened up to people who are book people on social media. So they have Instagram challenges. They're on Twitter or Facebook. I think there's a Goodreads group too. Um, But it's 24-hour time period with uh, the same start time around the world. So East Coast time, it starts at 8 a.m. and then finishes up at 8 a.m. the next day. And you just read as much as you can or as much as you want. And the neat thing is they do it twice a year. They do it in the spring and in the fall. And I think historically the fall event is the bigger one. And this coming fall, it's going to be their 10-year anniversary of doing this readathon. So if you're interested, we'll put a link to their website in the show notes. It's 24hourreadathon.com if you want to check it out. And 24 is the number, 24 it's just a fun time. It's so supportive. You can meet so many different book people online. I've made a lot of online friends that way. And they have great advice, too, if you have little kids or older kids or resistant family members, how to kind of deal with them to get your reading in or have a family read or That's whatever great. the case may be. I love the excuse. Like, yeah. sorry, I have to read all day. I mean, I've it, you know what? And it clears up the day to have a, a guilt-free mm. reading day. Yeah. Because, you know, Laura's totally supportive of me doing it. I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Yeah. And so it's it's great. It's just a fun time to do that. And I've heard of other readers who whose husband sent her to a hotel room so she okay. could be away from the kids and the dogs and nice. everything and have that. So yeah. it's just a fun time. And you read as much or as little, I think I said that already, as you yeah. want. So good great. time with that. But when I was in New York, we saw a couple shows, and one of them is book-related, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, yeah. which I'm sad to say wasn't a very good production at oh. all. And it was so disappointing, because uh, Christian Borle is the headliner there, and we love him. We're kind of groupies. We love his work. Um, but the show was just so... Every, it just didn't have a cohesive driving force behind it. And even for a, for a Broadway play, or musical, I should say, for a Broadway musical, it just didn't have the oomph oh, and the so quality. too bad. Yeah, I mean, we saw it a couple days after it opened, so I don't know if they're going to find their footing and develop their, their set a little bit more. Even the set was kind of, I hate to say the word pathetic, mm. but it was kind of... Like, really? This is Broadway? Well, especially because Willy Wonka could be so fun. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully they'll they'll get it together a bit more. But then the next day we saw Hello, Dolly. Woohoo! With Bette Midler and (laughs) David Hyde Pierce, which was fucking amazing. Like, it was like what a Broadway show should be. Like, I mean, everything was perfect. Imagine if you'd Everything. done it the opposite. If you'd seen the Divine Miss M the day before, yeah. then you, you probably would have walked out of Willy <laughs> Well, Wonka. I gotta say, like, you know, I was a little like, oh my God, please let this be good. And please let her be in it. Yeah. Because when we were standing outside in line and talking with the people around us, a lot of older women, a lot of middle-aged folks, and, and younger too, but uh, people who came from all over the country to see Bette Midler. And we were kind of saying, like, what if she wasn't in the show? <laughs> and one of her understudies was on. Like, it would be like a mad, uh, a madhouse. Yeah. I think people would have yeah. completely revolted. Yeah. So, anyway, she was great. David Hyde Pierce is great. The whole cast was superb. Their voices were great. Their timing was perfect. Oh, the, the staging was just amazing. You know, think, getting Gordon back show. to Willy Wonka, not to talk about, I'm sorry, it was bad, but... Roald Dahl, James and the Giant Peach, mm-hmm. was probably one of my favorite books of all time. And really? I forget yeah. about it until yeah. you're talking. Like, that should have been in my top ten, people. Yeah, I know. I loved that book. <laughs> well, anytime I'm... Well, like when we were in the bookstore with Russell, who... Russell is our friend. He's a booktopian. Um, but he also blogs and is a booktuber at Ink and Paper Blog. Yeah. is his handle. 
Um, but, you know, we would be like, oh, my God, this is, I love this book. It's one of my favorite. He's like, well, it wasn't in your top ten. And she's like, I know. <laughs> I have, like, a hundred books in my exactly. top ten. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. But it's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. James of the Giant Peach, I love that book. Yeah. I don't really remember that one. Like, I know I've read it, and I know I've handled it a million, a million times at the bookstore. Yeah. Because it's still very popular. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't tell you the first thing about it, though. That's a good book. Yeah. Cool. So, should we oh. talk about... One more oh, thing yeah. about New York. While we were walking around, oh. uh, the Marquis are up for a stage production of 1984. Yes. The book is going to be on stage. It's at the Hudson Theater. Previews start May 18th. I don't know if I'm going to go see it or not because I just read the book and I saw the yeah. movie and, you know. You might be 84'd out. I might be. Yeah. I'm 45'd out. Yeah. I know that much. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, but anyway. Shall we talk about the thing that you saw that caused oh. you to text me late at night and there was steam coming out of my phone from these texts? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I saw the thing of horror. <laughs> the new Emily Dickinson, quote, biopic, A Quiet Passion. There ain't nothing quiet in that movie. It's very... You know, I have to say the acting I thought was excellent. Yeah. I enjoyed the actors very much. The costuming I thought was pretty cool, um, but I just felt like it was an old version of Emily Dickinson. It had all the myths of her being this extreme recluse, slightly crazy, dry, brittle, prudish woman, and I thought, what the fuck? Like, why this version of Emily Dickinson? Like, why spend the money to make a movie when you're going to have an outdated understanding of the person who is the focus of the film? I'm really annoyed. Yeah, you were you were I mad. Was, yeah. She was texting away at yeah. me. Like, I used capital yeah. letters and yeah. I said, I fucking hated it. <laughs> so there. A lot of F bombs in this episode, folks. Sorry. She was mad. She was I mad. was. I yeah. almost got up and left at one point. Yeah. But then I thought, well no, because I do want to see it and then I could really talk about the whole thing and and you do never know. It's kind of like a book. Something could happen to redeem things right. towards the end, but it didn't happen. See, I was I really annoyed. It. So, but I don't know what you know about Emily well, Dickinson. Well, so for one thing, like one of her great love affairs was with her sister-in-law Susan, who in the movie is played by Jodie May, who has had great roles starring in some of Sarah Waters' lesbian novels. So she is a known like lesbian character playing person, okay. and they had this one weird scene where Susan kind of like hints about maybe not loving men in quite that way about Emily's brother, Austin, who she married. Right. And and this is, it was just really, uh, and I'm thinking like, so what, was that a little nod towards Susan and Emily's love for insiders who knew about, who read about that relationship and viewers who know the actor Jodi May and some of her, I hope that's her name, Jodi May. I'm pretty sure that's her name. I just had this inkling that it could be the wrong name. Oh. Anyway, yeah, so I did not like it yeah. at all. See, and I was more focused on, I knew that there was a love interest, and I knew that they totally didn't deal with that at all. Mm-hmm. But I was more interested in, I don't know anything about Emily Dickinson, and so I thought it was fascinating how she, the time period I thought was spectacular. I thought the costumes were fantastic. That It was in the actual... Her, the house oh, yeah. that's in Amherst that we're going to see on Sunday, hopefully. Yes. And um, that, you know, like there was a point where she decides, I mean, I thought the beginning they handled really well. Like she was, you know, she was ahead of her time for how she felt about religion and things like that. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say ahead of her time. She was outspoken for a young woman. Yeah. And then she, when she decides she wants to write, she has to ask her father's permission if she can write. You know, it made me think, I am so glad to be a woman in the new millennium, you know, mm-hmm. not living back then. And then when he says yes, you know, her writing time is like five in the morning. Yeah, she gets up like know? super early. Yeah, still so dark. she can yeah. do her writing. And then it's like, what does she have to do other than that? Like they sit in the parlor and they chit chat and stuff that's like that. They, so, that's all they show. Yeah. I mean, I think in like yeah. in real life, she she did have things to do, although yeah. they had servants yeah. too. But, you know. But I mean, they didn't have very fulfilled lives in a certain way for someone who was as brilliant as she was. See, I know? don't know if we can say that or not. I don't know if that's fair to say that because she had people she corresponded with. She read a lot. 
you know, people came and went from Amherst yes. with news yeah. or newspapers. And I just kind of feel like, what what would we expect of her? Well, it's not an expectation. To me, it was a glimpse into what that life was like. And she was a brilliant human being, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm sure there was some frustration that she wasn't out in the world like her brother was, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Chris is not either. She knows no, a lot I'm more just, about I'm Emily just Dickinson. thinking because I don't. I mean, I had a okay. I had a seminar on Emily Dickinson when I was in grad school. Yeah. And I've read her poetry since then, and yeah. I read it periodically. I haven't. I. It's not like I've stayed up on the research about yeah. her or anything like that. I just know that this version is an outdated version of Emily okay. Dickinson. And, yeah. like, it's true. Like, I'm not saying that women in the 19th century had it made by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. There were so many barriers put on their opportunities. Right. And even when they were brilliant like her, just people didn't get her brilliance. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So Until totally, she died. I'm totally like years agreeing. Later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even now, I mean, I think, like, her, her star is still rising. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. they made a movie, yeah. you know, yeah. um, that was certainly not a low-budget movie. Yeah. It's great production value, I think. The other thing that I'm fascinated by, and I should, my fascination probably should have led to me doing a little research, which it didn't, mm-hmm. but she had Bright's disease, which is a kidney disease, mm-hmm. and they had no treatment for it back then. So she was in excruciating pain and died a slow agony of a death. Yeah. And when you have a malfunction of your kidneys... It affects your brain function. Right. So it makes me wonder if that's part of why her poetry got darker instead of like she was a recluse because, you know, of, you know, love and things like that. It was more just like she was in a lot of pain and, you know, she didn't leave her room because yeah. it hurt to leave her room, you know, but she still wanted to write and it affected her writing just like we all have a life time of how our writing changes and grows right. as we do. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, one thing I did think the movie tr- did a, a fairly good job of is presenting the contradictions within a person's life and per- yeah. and in their personality itself yeah. because here you have her leaving her school because she had religious differences and she asks her father's permission to write Yet there's this one scene where they're sitting at the table together and the the dad starts to pray and he's looking down and all of a sudden he's like, oh, this plate is dirty. And she picks the plate up and smashes it on the table <laughs> and breaks it. And I'm just like, what was that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, so did that happen? I, I don't know. But uh, those contradictions. Yeah. And, and she was very vocal. Yes. And yeah. yeah. So, but yeah. that's the thing. Like there's, okay, I'm not going to say any more because I don't want to like ruin the movie yeah. for people. Even. I liked it. <laughs> Chris didn't like it. That's the bottom line. She didn't like it so much that she texted her cougar friend who goes to bed early (laughs) with steam coming out of her text streams. Yeah. Well, I contacted one of my friends who is an English professor, and I asked her if she's seen it yet. She hasn't yet, but she's going to, and she's actually teaching an Emily Dickinson seminar next semester. So I can't wait for Jen to see it because I really want to hear what she has to what say. her yeah good because all the reviews i not not that i i think i read like three or four reviews that night yeah. but none of them really addressed the i mean they all kind of seem to go off the old yeah view of emily yeah. dickinson as being yeah. some weird recluse yeah so well you guys go and see it decide for yourselves and let us know what you think yeah it's yes. it's a split it's a thumbs up and a thumbs down yes. here at the cougars <laughs> So, should we talk about some upcoming adventures? Oh, wait. Can I oh. say one more thing that I did? Sure. On, um, one of the reasons I didn't do a ton of reading on the Readathon Day was it was also Independent Bookstore oh, right, Day. right, right. And I went up to uh, the Book Club bookstore in South Windsor, Connecticut. Right. They just moved to a new location, and I, I hadn't been to their old location, but was so happy to go to their new location. They had their grand opening that day. And it was a, a big success, and uh, the owner, Cindy, was there and very happy and uh, loves the new location, is getting a lot of great community support there. And they have a ton of events. Um, they're doing a lot of events with local authors, and then they have um, some other authors coming through. One of the local authors I want to see, it's going to be May 24th, the author is Brianna Dunlap, and her book is Connecticut Valley Tobacco. And it's one of those history press books. And it's about the Connecticut tobacco. But for those of you familiar with Hartford, with the Bradley Airport, there are these big red barns. 
that are there. And I remember the first time we came in, I thought, wow, those look like tobacco barns. That's weird. Because I'm used to tobacco barns in, like, Kentucky. North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Kentucky, South yeah. South Ohio, you know. Yeah. Um, and But they, they are tobacco barns. Yeah. I had no idea about the history of tobacco in Connecticut. So yeah. I bought the book, and hopefully we'll make that event. Great. And if you're in the area, go check out the Book Club Bookstore. Excellent. Well, and we're at Booktopia. So we are at Booktopia. That is definitely one that we will be talking to you about in a future episode. We yes. are We are going to um, hang up our microphone and... Go gallivanting through Manchester. And then yeah. next weekend, I'm going to be in Portland. My um, celebration for graduation was strong-arming both of my children <laughs> to come meet me in Portland, Oregon next weekend for Mother's Day weekend. And I will be going to the fabulous Powell's. Cool. And they actually have some, I guess you'd call them sister stores. I don't know, little tinier versions of them. And on Monday that I'm going to be there, there is a gentleman who has a new book out that I'm picking up. It's actually being held for me at Northshire. The author is Peter Rock, and the book is called The Givers, Wealthy Power, Wealth, Power, and Philanthropy in a New Gilded Age. Hmm. So this is obviously right up my alley. Yeah. So I'm going to try to get it read by the time I see him, which is uh, Monday. Is that the 12th, I think, of May? Something like that. Not sure. This yeah. Monday's the eighth. That's okay. all I know. So then that would be the fifteenth yeah. of May. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. And that's in Portland in um, Hawthorne. So if any of our listeners are out there, come come join me. Come meet the book cougar. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So what do you have reading next? Well, you, duh, you just said that, but anything else on your radar to read? What am I, what, what, oh, The Leavers, which I just oh, okay. bought um, at RJ Julia yesterday mm-hmm. when we were gallivanting about, and that's the Lisa Co book that uh, Chris talked about on the last episode, and I will yeah. be meeting her this weekend, so. Cool. Yeah, yeah, really enjoyed that book. Yeah. Cool, what I can't wait you? to hear her. Um, I'm going to be reading, I got a library copy of Into the Water, the new Paula Hawkins oh, book. Yeah. Like I put that request in months ago. Like as soon as I saw the book on the library thing, I reserved it. And I was shocked to get an email saying your hold is ready. Right so that's the girl on the train author yes. for any of you guys who don't yeah, remember. Girl on the train, which I love. I I liked the girl on the train a lot. Emily did not. I did not like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then you like Gone Girl and I did not. Right. So. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, so I'll be reading that and then, well, yeah, and then the Connecticut Valley Tobacco book. Excellent. So good stuff. All right. We got to go, people. Goodness. We got we got Booktopia. We got Booktopia work to, to do. Yes. And a gift card to spend. <laughs> a gift card to spend. Mine's already spent. I ordered ahead. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. All right. All right, everybody. Well, well, happy th- reading. Happy reading. Thanks, as always, for listening. Yeah, and if you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter at Book Cougars, Facebook at Book Cougars. If you have anything you want to share, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes and like to leave a review, we'd appreciate it. It helps other people find us. Thanks, everybody. Happy so, reading, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.